Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity, as always, to gather and to worship, not just with singing, but with seeing the truth in your scriptures. And God, as we move now in this time of our gathering to open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. God, this is a very consistent prayer that we have at the beginning of the messages, God, for your spirit to fill us, to open our eyes, to see the truth, open our ears as we now are going to sit and hear this truth. Because God, we know without the power of your spirit filling us, we can't see it, we can't. And so this is a prayer we will always pray as we have talked, as we've preached through the gospel according to John, God, to help us. And God, would you also help me to communicate this in a way that first and foremost, as always, honors you and then is helpful to us. And so God, fill me now with your spirit, the privilege and honor it is to preach your word. God, thank you for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is great to be back uh, preaching. I, I don't know what you do for your job, but um, it's good to have a job that you actually enjoy what you do. Um, and if you don't, then just go ahead and quit it tomorrow. All right, just call your boss, tell him I'm done. Um, and, and tell him your pastor, uh, Pastor David, told you to do that. And so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I do love what I do. And preaching is not just what I, the only thing that I do, but it is probably one of the things I love the most uh, in doing is, is I just feel like um, not only is it something God has given me the ability to do, but I, but I love doing it. I enjoy it. And so it's been good over the last two weeks to take a break. Uh, one, Pastor David preached a couple weeks ago. He did a fantastic job. And that weekend I was hanging out at our Jasper location, which is always great because the other part of my job that I get to do that I love is hanging with you, hanging with people. And so two weeks ago, I was at our Jasper location. Then last week, I was here at our Canton location hanging out. And what I love about getting to, the chance to do that, and it doesn't always happen uh, you know, where I'm not preaching, but I'm here. I'm, I'm just hanging out with people, is it really puts faces to the preaching. Uh, you know, I love preaching, but then I love seeing people. I love meeting people, being with people, and, and really helping, uh, you know, having conversations about uh, understanding the effects of preaching in people's lives. And so it's been so good to hang out over the last several weeks. And again, like I said, Pastor David did a great job wrapping up John chapter 15. I feel like that message was tailor-made for him, speaking about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit witnessing to us and then giving us power to witness to others. It was the scripture that you just saw on the screen. And then last weekend we had our worship weekend where we really kind of about quarterly take a weekend to just have extended time of singing, take communion together, celebrate that uh, because the Lord told us to continue to do that. But today we're going to get into John chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But before we do, I'm going to give you a couple updates. One, over the last several weeks, uh, when I was in Jasper and here in Canton, I had so many people ask me how my sister was doing. And, and that was so great to just hear people genuinely, you genuinely care. And so I wanted to give you an update on her. One, because she's doing really well, uh, comparative to where she was uh, months and months ago. Yeah, you can, you can clap uh, for that. If you're new, we found out in um, 
March that my sister, who's two years older than me, had stage four breast cancer. And if you know about the stages, that's the last stage. That's the worst stage. It had spread and, and wrapped around her spine and then paralyzed her. And so she had to have emergency surgery to remove uh, about 85% of that from her back. Um, and so they were able to take out a lot of that. And the, the rest of it, they treated with chemo and radiation. And that has all gone amazingly well. I mean, amazingly well, to the point now to where she is technically in remission, um, which is just amazing. She just has one small uh, tumor or part of the tumor that's effectively dead, but they're going to go in and remove that in a lumpectomy in two weeks uh, and just do radiation again, just to make sure that everything is clear. Uh, and then she will be on kind of a maintenance dose of chemo basically for the rest of her life. But it was so encouraging her doctor has a lady that has had a very similar situation that he's been treating for 25 years with this kind of situation. And so, yeah, we're incredibly grateful. Yeah, you can clap for, for um, her. Uh, and, and she is a believer. And I, I told her I was gonna give an update to you. And so she wanted me to say thank you to you because so many people, thousands and thousands of people have been praying. She's still learning how to walk again. She's walking with a walker. But uh, again, from where she was, to where she is now is amazing. She can stay by herself now and get around with the walker. And so she, you know, that will take maybe about a year or so for her to be uh, able to do that again. And, and personally, I can't wait to go see her during Thanksgiving and then punch her and run away and she can't catch me. Um, and so I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm the younger brother, that's what I do. Um, but I wanted to give you one other update that happened this week. Many of you already know. Um, this one, not so good news, but we had one of our staff members who works here in Canton. Uh, his name is Jason, just like mine, Jason Woodward, had a major, major accident. Uh, a piece of equipment uh, came down on his leg, right below his leg and uh, right below his knee and shattered that. And on Monday was life flighted to the hospital at Kennestone and had to have emergency surgery where they literally had to graft a vein and, and put it into his leg so that he could have restored blood flow. Had surgery yesterday uh, to reset the bone. And uh, he is one of our uh, core team members here at our Canton campus. He serves at our Canton, as our Canton uh, campus director. Works with Pastor David. And um, he's just one of the most amazing dudes that I know. And the coolest thing about his story is he was saved here uh, back in 2013 and uh, has grown up here literally uh, in his faith and then has been a leader here. Then we hired him several years ago. And so be praying for him and his wife, Natalie. Uh, they have a long road ahead. He'll be in the hospital for weeks um, and then have to do rehab and all that kind of stuff. And so he's a guy that's normally here in Canton that you would see helping run our welcome team, parking team, everything. He's just kind of a guy that um, is just around. He always has that attitude to do whatever it takes. So please be praying for him as well. Uh, as I just said, in regards to my sister, uh, you see the power of prayer. And so it, it, is, it is every surgery, he's had two surgeries so far, and both surgeries have gone really well, even better than what they had hoped for. So keep praying for him, and he won't be here, obviously, for months. Uh, but he'll be wa watching online, I'm sure. And so make sure you're praying for him, and we'll give updates um, as we can as it relates to him as well. So be praying for Jason Woodward uh, is his name. In fact, let me just go ahead and pray again right now. Let's pray for him and thank God for my sister as well. Father, thank you for the privilege and honor it is to pray for people 
Um, we, we know, God, that in a church this size, there are people that um, have had great things happen where you have healed and then not so great where you haven't. And so, God, we praise you and thank you for those that you have, um, but we still trust you in the circumstances where it seems like you haven't. Um, and so, God, thank you for my sister and how you have brought her uh, to this place uh, where she is now. God, it's been a long Long seven months, but God, thank you for all the great reports that have happened, and I pray, God, that she would stay cancer-free. And then, God, we also pray for Jason, who uh, obviously had his world turned upside down just a few days ago. Um, God, thank you for the medical professionals that were able to respond so quickly and move quickly to operate and to repair and to fix. God, he's got such a long road ahead of him. And, and God, I pray that he would know that you love him, that we love him, and that we are praying for him. And so God, just pray that you would heal everything uh, as we have been praying, God, that he would be able to walk again and to live his life like he is used to. And so God, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for him. And uh, we just ask you to continue to work miracles in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump in, John chapter 16. Again, if you know the Woodwards, please reach out to them. If you want to help them in some way, they, I know that they would uh, obviously greatly appreciate that. But let's go John chapter 16. We only have four verses today, but, but you know, if you've been around here long enough, that doesn't mean the sermon's any shorter, all right? Um, but these four verses really kind of pick up on where we left off in John chapter 15, because as you know, or you should know, that the original chapter or the chapter and verses, divisions in our Bible weren't there in the original um, manuscripts. Those were added later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, to just kind of help us organize. And sometimes there can be divisions where it makes it feel like it's a, a new chapter, a new subject, but it's not. And this is one of those things, as you will see, I'm gonna just read to you in John chapter 16, verse one and two. I've got these on the screen. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you. That feels like a weird place to put a new chapter to me, since it's referring to things that I just said to you, or he's like, I just said to you. Um, but this is where it's at. He said, so I've said all these things to you, to you, to keep you from falling away. To keep you from falling away. That's the message title this week. Number two, or <laughs> verse two. It's been a couple weeks, guys. I mean, hang with me here, all right? They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So Jesus is still continuing in this same line of thought. In the middle part of chapter 15, he talked about how we have to be prepared to be hated by the world. And as David and I were talking about these messages, because I knew I was going to preach part of 15, he was going to pe preach part of it, I was going to preach you know, the first part of 16, but it's like Jesus talks about, it's going to be bad, but I'm going to give you the Spirit. And then verse six, chapter 16, it's going to be bad, and then next week, but I'm going to give you the Spirit. So it's like Jesus sandwiches it in between, that he's, he's being honest with us, hey, they're going to hate you, but I'm with you. They're going to kill you, but I'm with you. And this is one of those sections that we're not to the I'm with you part. That's next week. You got to come back when we get into verse four and 15. All right, four through 15. But this in verses one through four, and particularly here in verses one through two, Jesus is helping us by telling us these things are going to happen. The thing that I was struck with the most as I was studying this, Jesus in verse one gives us his entire reasoning for telling us 
that they were going to hate us. He says, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away. To keep you from falling away. And what struck me about that is you can hear the, the pastoral concern in his voice. You know, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the chief one. And this is how we say this here at Revolution Church. He's the senior pastor of Revolution Church. He is the one who is in charge. And so all of our pastoral wisdom and advice or, or practices or principles come from him. And this is one of those that I feel like now that I've been pastoring for over 20 years, I have learned how to relate to. Because one of the most painful things, and, and I've said this many times, pastoring is just like parenting, and these are the very similar feeling. One of the most painful things for a pastor or one of the most painful things for a parent is to have a child or a person in the church fall away. Someone that you love and that you care about, who was walking with Jesus to one day decide, I no, wanna, no longer want to walk with Jesus. And, and not only is a pastor, is it excruciating, but sometimes, I got to be honest with you, it's just weird. Like when I see these people in Home Depot, they go the other way. And I'm not complaining. Sometimes it just makes me laugh. I'm like, hey, you can still say hi. What's even funnier sometimes is not when they walk away from the faith, but when they go to another church and it feels like that, you know, like they've somehow let me down because they go to another church as, as if like another church is another team and they went to another team and I always tell them, we're on the same team. I don't care if you went to another church. I just want you to be in church. If that's where you feel like the Lord is calling you, that's fine. Most of the pastors of all the local churches around us we're friends with. Now I might call them and warn them about the person. Hey, watch out for that sheep. Woo, got some sharp teeth, that one. But it, it shouldn't be weird if you just move to another church. That, that's okay. But it is very sad if someone doesn't move to another church, but they move to another belief system. And Jesus, it's interesting here, the word he uses. He uses the word fall away to keep you from falling away. Now, we have a phrase in English, and I wonder how we would uh, say this at our ESL classes that meet here on Thursday nights as well. Because, you know, we have like colloquial phrases a lot of times. Every language has this. That when you try to translate it over to another language, they're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. But one of those phrases that we have in English is we speak of, I fell off the what? Wagon. You know it. Okay. You know somebody who's done it before. Not you, right? But you know somebody. But we speak of falling off the wagon. Now, I guess, you know, because our country, you know, as, as our country grew, before we had cars and roads, we had wagons and trails, right? 
That's why we played the Oregon Trail game. We went west, young men, right? And so I guess the concept, it just stuck into the American psyche that the concept of falling off the wagon meant that you were headed in this direction, you were doing well, but then you fell off the wagon. And, and early in my Christian walk, I, I would say things, yeah, I fell. Until I realized for me, a lot of times, that was too passive of a word. I didn't fall, I jumped. You know what I'm saying? Like it makes it sound like, man, I was doing really good and I'm just walking, you know, riding right along in my wagon, right? And then we hit a bump and, oh, I fell. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'm riding along in the wagon, I'm like, oh, I really like that, and I jump, right? Which well, is why I'm saying this. It's interesting the word Jesus uses here. The Greek word he uses here, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna say it to you and I think you're gonna recognize the English word. It is scandaliso. It's where we get our English word, scandal. Scandalize. Now the idea of a scandal, right? is really not the concept of somebody falling off a wagon, although it might. But when we think of the word scandal, we think of someone, sadly a lot of times even in church world, who was maybe in a position of leadership and used that leadership in some way that was wrong, ungodly, abusive, and created a scandal. You could almost read it like this. Jesus saying, I have said all these things to you to keep you from scandalizing. To keep you from scandals. To keep you from wrecking your life. Do you understand a little bit now when I'm talking about the pastoral concern? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm saying these things to you because the last thing I want you to do is throw your life away. The last thing that I want you to do is to be rocking along in your wagon and looking and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, and so you jump. But you know what I've come to realize? The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Maybe the grass is greener over there because they're watering it and maybe the grass is not green on your side because you're not. And what Jesus is trying to keep us from doing is scandalizing, creating scandals, falling away. And the reason why I'm saying this like this is because I don't want you to think that falling away is something passive that happens to you. Falling away is not something passive that happens to you. Like you're just driving down the street and then someone, you know, rear ends you and you're like, oh, I just was scandalized. Right? I just fell away. No. In verse after verse after verse, the Bible speaks of being diligent, being fervent, being aware, 
being watchful, looking out at all times, not gratifying our flesh, but walking with the Spirit. See, we fall away. We fall away because let's be honest. It's hard following the ways of Jesus in a world that doesn't celebrate them. This is why Jesus said in, in John 15, they're gonna hate you. They're gonna hate you. And the reason why they're gonna hate you is because of the way, which Jesus said he was in John 10, right? I mean, John 14, six. I am the way, the truth, the life. He has ways. We've been talking about that. We, we, obey, we abide in him by obeying him. So he has ways. And there's ways in which that we're going to walk that the world's not going to be like, good job, good job. And so you're going to be walking along, following Jesus. It's going to be hard. Everybody is going to be criticizing you for following Jesus. And something in you is going to want to jump off that wagon. And that's what a scandal is. See, you and I are simply one choice away from a scandal. One choice away from scandalizing our lives. Because something in us, watch this, something in us wanted the applause of those around us. And we bought into the lie. So Jesus is saying to us, listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Let me give you this point if you're taking notes. This is really kind of the overarching point of this whole message. The greatest danger we face is not death, but defection. The greatest danger we face as Christ followers is not death, but defection. And in parentheses, I put a real churchy word called apostasy. And this is why I put it in there. I wanted to put in the word apostasy, but it didn't start with a D. And I, you know, I just had to alliterate. So I looked up the word apostasy and I looked for other synonyms, other words, and defection was one of them. But I think we get defection, right? Especially if you've served in any kind of military. A defector, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago when Jesus said, they don't love you because you're not of them. And the reason is, is you used to be of them, but I called you out of them and now you're not with them anymore. You're with me. You used to be on their team. Now you're not. So we defected from the world. We hear about this even today with countries like North Korea and South Korea, right? You got right in between them, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, which is like a, a piece of land that they've agreed upon that, okay, we won't fight on this piece of land right here. We can have conversations about stuff. But all the time, there are people that are defecting from North Korea into South Korea. Well, to defect means to change loyalties. To change loyalties. To change teams. Now, the word apostasy, the reason why I put that in parentheses is because that is really the kind of historical 
kind of church history word. We would call people who left the faith apostate. And the reason why is because it is a Greek word that has a meaning like most things. And the Greek word apostasy or apostasia means, watch this, it's going to amaze you, falling away or defection. And what's interesting, the prefix there, apo, A-P-O, means out of. And so the, the concept of what Jesus is getting here is your greatest danger that you're going to face is the world is going to try to call you out of loyalty to me and back into loyalty to them. That's the greatest danger you're going to face. And what's interesting to me is how a lot of Christians, particularly in in this generation or or the last several generations, really, let's just say the last century, because in the last century, you know, we had major world wars, major world wars. Not just world wars, we had multiple wars. In addition to those, Vietnam War, Korean War, a lot. And people were so sure, so sure, based upon some theology in a system called dispensationalism that the end is coming soon because Jesus said there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars, as though there wasn't wars in other centuries, but people forget that. But there has been so many that have focused so much on when is the rapture? When is this happening? When is that happening? Is this event a signal that this is going to happen? And we focus so much on getting out of here that I think one of the consequences of that is pastors weren't preparing people well on how to stay here. They weren't preparing people well how to stay here and defend their faith because they were encouraging people, no, he's going to take us out of here before we have to do any of that stuff. He's going to take us out of here before the great tribulation. And I've said this before, and every time I say it, I get comments from people, and that's fine, but if you want to know where I stand... I don't believe that he's going to take us out before the great tribulation because I tend to think we're in it right now. I'll I'll give you reasons for that in just a second. But here's why I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this to you because I feel increasingly more and more and more. Our job is to help you not to defect. And we do that through discipleship. We do that through reminding you of what it was that Jesus said. And I think so many of us, and I don't understand this a lot of times, I gotta be honest with you. I don't understand Christians who are scared of death. 
None of us want death. I get that. I'm not looking forward to it in the sense of like, yeah, I hope it happens tomorrow. But I'm not afraid of it. See, my greatest fear isn't dying. Because Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. He said, oh, to be present with him. See, my greatest fear isn't death. It's defection. My greatest fear is that I would follow Jesus until it got hard. And then once it got hard, I would slowly start taking out things that he said because I saw this really clever person on TikTok that told me that Jesus didn't really say that, right? I've told you, please don't get your theology from TikTok, my gosh. But deep down, the reason why you threw away that belief system is because the world was no longer celebrating it. It was celebrating a different belief system that has always been contrary to Jesus's. You just weren't facing much persecution for it, which is another reason why I don't understand most people, and it's mostly Western believers that think that the tribulation is still to come. What do you say to the believers in China that are being murdered right now for what they believe? Is that not the tribulation? But in this country, praise God, because of our constitution, I am so grateful for that. We have freedom of religion. But I think we have a whole generation of people that were preparing for the rapture that weren't prepared for the trials and they're falling like flies. They fell away. They fell away. They defected. And they missed the words of Jesus that said, I said these things to keep you from falling away. What's amazing in our country, and I've said this before, so many of our founding fathers were believers in the founding of our country. And it happened obviously in the Northeast, in the New England area, which is why it was called New England. It was England, but it was new. And so when the Puritans came and people came and they established cities, they established churches, they established Christian universities. Did you know that? And they named those Christian universities things like Harvard and Yale and Brown. We now call them Ivy League schools. Did you know that all of those were religious schools when they were founded? Did you also know that almost all the churches in New England, when they were founded, were more congregational churches, which meant that the congregation voted which that's to me is a whole reason why you shouldn't have votes in church. We don't do that here. We believe in elders. And so what happened, I kid you not, you go and look at this. Churches were having debates on what it constituted to be a member. And particularly in the Northeast, in this period, in the 1600s, 
There was a belief system that they believed that you baptized babies, but then later you were confirmed by a confession. Well, people quit confessing and they were like, well, but are they church members? And I kid you not, you can go look this up. And they came up with this idea called a halfway covenant. And this halfway covenant said, well, if they were baptized as babies, even though they didn't confirm a confession later to Christ, they're still church members. So those church members could vote. And they showed up to business meetings in churches and here's what they did. They voted out everyone who believed in the Trinity. And those churches, a lot of them were no longer Trinitarian, but they were now Unitarian. Which then, only a short matter of time later, became Universalist. And I, you can go look this up later. I wrote it down just so I didn't forget. The first parish of Concord, Massachusetts still exists to this day. But in the 1660s, the Unitarians voted out the Trinitarians. And so the Trinitarians, I kid you not, went across the street and made a new church called Trinity Concord Church. Across the street. Because they didn't want to be a part of the halfway crowd. And this happened in the 1660s. And you think what we're going through in 2022 is any different? Sadly, I looked it up. Trinitarian Concord Church. As of today, on their website, they now have belief systems that are contrary to what Jesus taught. So the ones who left over the apostasy are apostate now themselves. And this happened when people are like, let's go back to the way it was. Well, how way back are we going? Because in the 1660s in America, churches had people that fell away to a point where they came up with a halfway covenant. I just want you to know, there is no halfway stewardship here at Revolution Church. There's no halfway. Now you're welcome here. You don't have to sign the covenant to come here, but if you wanna join the church, it's all in covenant. There's no halfway baptism. You don't eat half the cracker in communion. You don't give Jesus half your life. Watch this one. You don't give Jesus half your wallet. There's no halfway covenants. Well, only halfway defected Jesus. Yeah, so did they. Look at where I got them. See, the greatest danger we face is not death. It's defection. It's apostasy. And here's what's crazy to me. The word apostasy, I already told you it was a Greek word. If you have a Strong's Concordance, which is a Bible study tool, in the Strong's Concordance, it is number 646. But I was thinking about this, and what's very interesting is the word apostasia is very close to another Greek word. Apostello, where we get the word apostle from. You know, the word apostle means one who is sent. And in the Strong's Concordance, it is number 649. Three words different from apostasy. And here's the conclusion that I came to. 
If you don't live a life that is sent, it's only a matter of time before you live a life that is apostate. There's no middle. There's no middle. Now, I believe in what we would call big A apostles. That's the 12. I believe those are the ones who saw Jesus. That's why we've arranged the New Testament the way that we've arranged it. The eyewitness accounts to Jesus. John was one of them. However, I also believe that we have the commission of being small a apostles, which means this. Every single one of us are to live our lives as those who God has sent on mission to the world. And if we live as apostles to the world, watch this, that's what protects us from apostasy. See, it's only those that are in neutral that can be moved. But those that are in drive, that are heading a direction, Satan's not so worried about them. You know, study after study after study has been done that America has about the same amount of Christians today as it did 40, 50 years ago. The amount of committed Christians today is still about the same percentage. Depending upon what study you look at, 20 to 30%. That has not changed. And people have been saying for decades, Christianity's in decline, Christianity's in decline, Christianity's in decline. No, it's not. But you wanna know what is in decline? You wanna know what has shifted over the last 40, 50 years? There's a whole nother group of people that represented about 40% of the population that are what's called cultural Christians. They weren't really committed to Christ, but Christianity was still the main predominant stream, so they identified with it because it was like, well, of course I'm Christian. I'm American. It says it on my money, and God we trust. But I don't know if you realize this, but the cultural stream has shifted. Christianity is no longer upstream. And what I mean by that is Christianity is no longer the one that's influencing the broader culture. Christianity is now downstream. And so all those cultural Christians that were influenced by Christianity are no longer influenced by Christianity. Now they're influenced more by the culture. And so therefore, they're the ones that have defected. They're the ones that might say they're Christian. And they even attend on Christmas. But they've defected. They're apostate. Because, and this is what makes it scary, they've fallen away and didn't even realize it. And this is why I'm saying this to you. I don't pastor those people. I do pastor you. And I don't want you to be in the group that falls away. Look at what Jesus says in verse three. He says, and they will do these things because... 
You know, anytime you see a word therefore, you ask, what is it there for? Anytime you see the word because, you know he's about to tell you the purpose, the reasoning. He says, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus says, there's a whole group of people that don't know me. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, if you were here, that word know, there's two primary words in Greek for the word know. One has to do with like seeing, it's like knowing facts. And one is this word, particularly gnosko, which means to know experientially. And, and I, just reading this, I thought this is pretty cool. I, I wanna read it to you because I don't wanna get it wrong. This is knowledge that goes beyond information. It's knowledge gained by experience. Often describes the kind of knowledge involved in building an intimate relationship with a person. This kind of knowledge takes time, and listen to this, and is never complete. See, there's a whole swath of people that would say, I grew up in church. Please don't ever say you've been a Christian your whole life because that's impossible. I've said that many times. No, you haven't. I almost know if someone says they've been a Christian their whole life, they're probably not a Christian at all. Because you haven't been a Christian your whole life. You weren't born a Christian. You might have been born in a Christian home. Your mama may have gave birth to you on a pew in a Baptist church. You're not a Christian. Because Christianity is determined by one factor. Have you experienced God? Do you know God? Are you in a relationship with God? An intimate relationship that is growing. So I've been married for 20 years. This January, by God's grace, I'll be 21. And I know my wife better now than I did when I married her. I was only 23 at the time. She was 19. But when we get to year 40, do you think I'll know more than what I know now? Every woman in the house is like, I hope so. You wanna know why your relationship with God has gone stale if you have one? Because you're in a checkbox relationship and you quit trying to get to know him. You wanna know why your marriage, this is free marriage advice, y'all. You wanna know why your marriage has gone cold? Is because you think you know them and you don't. Now, I'm not saying there's not things you know. There's facts that you know. And there's experiences that you've had together. But there's still more to that woman that you don't know. And particularly as men in the house, if you'll fire up that part of your brain that treats it like you're dating her again and you start chasing her around the house again and you start seeing it as something that not seeing her, I'm saying it, that she's a her or that she is an it. Sorry, she is a her. Let's be clear here, all right? I'm saying the relationship. 
See it as an adventure that you still have to get to know. Your love will never grow cold. See, the problem with so many people is they think they know. And I remember being a young Christian thinking, man, heaven is going, eventually it's going to be boring. Like after a million years with God, like we're just going to float around. On, I mean, I had the whole Cupid idea, right? Like how many harp songs can we play to him? Until I realized God is infinite. There will always be something else about him to know and to experience. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all the omnis. So for all eternity, we will never get bored in our relationship with him because there is more to know. It's never complete. But see, the people that said, well, I walked an aisle or I got dunked, but they never... They never saw it as a relationship with a person to know. They'll fall away. They'll fall away. They'll defect. They'll become apostates. And people ask me all the time, are those people saved? I can't tell you yes or no. Here's what I know. If they are, at some point they will come back. At some point. Because a true person who is in, this is like saying, okay, I'm in a marriage relationship with my wife. Well, can I move to another state and never see her again and be married? Technically, yes. But are we in relationship with each other? No. People are like, well, I don't have to go to church to know God. Yeah, you don't have to go home and be, to be married either. But if you don't go home, you ain't gonna have a good marriage. If you're not in church with God's people meeting with God, you're probably not gonna have a good relationship with God. It's that simple. So at some point in time, something in you is gonna be like, you know what? Like the prodigal son in Luke 15, I gotta get back home to my father. And that is what keeps us from falling away. Let me give you a supporting text and we're almost done. From the same guy, I've done this a couple times in this gospel, John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. Here's what he said in 1st John chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Let me read it to you. He said, children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Remember, he wrote this in probably 90 AD, and he thought he was in the last hour. That's where I get my theology from. I think we're in the last hour. It's been the last hour for 2,000 years. People are like, well, how long is it going to take? I don't know. The Bible says a day is like 1,000 years to him. So to him, it's been two days. I don't know. This is why I won't write a book telling you the, the 88 ways that he's going to come back in 1988. It was a bestseller in 88. It, it bombed in 89. <laughs> that was a real book. I've made fun of it before. 
This is the last hour. You see, this is what I'm saying to you. I think it's every pastor's job and every generation to prepare their people as though it's the last hour. That's my job. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See the whole of there, we've talked about that. He's saying they're not of us. If they were, they would have stayed with us. Verse 20, I love this. Those of you who know I love conjunctions. Here we go, verse 20. But, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. We'll get into this next week when we talk about the Holy Spirit again. And you have all knowledge. This is the best thing about God. He gives us two conjunctions. But God and raised us. But you have the Holy One and you have knowledge. You have experience with God. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, this is what I'm saying. We have prepared people to try to find the Antichrist instead of looking around and seeing all the Antichrists. He just said an antichrist is anybody that denies Christ. He says, if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. So any religion, any belief system that says you can get to God without having Jesus is a lie. You don't get the father unless you have the son. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That's the command, by the way. And then here's the condition. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I told you the message title today is what Jesus said, to keep you from falling away. That's the point. You should be asking yourself the question, what keeps me from falling away? And can I just tell you, it's not your favorite president. It's not your congresswoman. Or my gosh, your senator. It amazes me how Christians get all riled up to vote, but they don't get all riled up to share Christ. It amazes me how, how Christians, and I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying there's one kingdom that's gonna last and it ain't this one. There's only one way that keeps you from falling away. And here's the point, and we're done. Those who abide in the Son and the Father don't fall away. Those who abide in the Son and the Father, they don't fall away. See, John said, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you were saved, what did you hear? 
in the beginning. According to Romans 9, you heard the good news. Paul says, how can they save unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can someone preach unless they've been sent? Apostled, sent out with the mission. Not apostate, apostled. See, if you came to Christ in the beginning, it's because you heard a message from someone that God sent to say to you the message, which is this. God sent his son to save you, to rescue you, to redeem you, to get you back into relationship with his father. I say this all the time to people, and they used to misunderstand me. Heaven is not so much a place as it's a person. Jesus didn't die to get you to a place. He died to get you into the presence of a person. The good of the good news is that you get God. That's the gospel. And it amazes me how many Christians talk about heaven and they can't wait to get there and God is not even in the equation. They can't wait to see their spouse now, I'm confident my spouse is going to be there. And if she dies before me, yes, I can't wait to see her. But I'm not going to be married to her anymore. This is why I don't understand when people build their identity on sexuality. You're not going to be sexual anymore in heaven. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're not going to be married anymore. You're going to be you. But you're not going to be married. Yeah, I can't wait to see my grandma, my grandpa. I've heard people say, I can't wait to see my dog. Like, how the heck do you think they're there? Well, God just loves me so much. I just know he would do that for me. Really? What chapter and verse did you get that crap from? Sorry for saying crap. You get God. Come on, somebody. That's who you get. And Peter's not standing at the pearly gates. And yeah, the streets of gold, but that's asphalt. Do you go out there and kiss the asphalt? No. When you get to heaven, it's going to be, it's asphalt. Like, again, it amazes me. God's like, really gold? I put that junk in the ground. And y'all like, ooh, it's shiny. Diamonds? I mean, yeah, they're cool, but, but it's God. You get God. And listen, I know I'm over time, but I was out for two weeks, so you gotta forgive me. I'm making up for lost time. If you abide in your relationship with the Son, and you just remember that there's more to Him to know, there's more about Him to know, and you keep looking forward to the fact that he got you to his father. You won't fall away. But if you define the good life is God giving you a fat bank account and a lake house with a boat 
and never giving you cancer or letting a bucket fall on your leg and crush it, as long as he doesn't do any of that stuff, or you know, as long as he answers all your prayers, you're gonna, you're gonna follow him, you won't fall away. I've had so many people say, I used to follow God, then he let this happen. And listen, I'm not saying that's not a struggle. But if you just see that thing that did happen or didn't happen, and you don't see the one glaring example of the cross in human history that did happen, that's what he did to get you back. Then you don't understand what he's offering you. He's not offering you an easy life. Oh, God forbid. He is offering you relationship with himself and that will get you through anything in life it won't let arrogance go to your head and it won't let criticism go to your heart that's the good news you get God let's pray Father I pray for the people today that maybe have heard that message. Maybe this is their beginning. This is the first time where they've heard the gospel. That though they were dead, you can make them alive. You can save them. You can forgive them. If they're just willing to admit that they are a sinner, they need to be saved, that they are estranged from you. They haven't been a Christian their whole life. So God, I pray right now you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close is normal. If you're watching online or in person, the invitation today is if you believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he died in your place for your sins, then he'll take your sin, you'll get his righteousness, and then you'll get a relationship with his father. So the good news of the gospel is you get God. And if you want God, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But it goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin to save me, forgive me. I admit I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. So would you save me, forgive me? Because I want you, God. I want a relationship with you. Thank you for loving me like this. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you're in the house and you trusted Christ, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? We got men and women on our prayer team gonna walk around and give you a gift, and when they do, you can put it down. If you're online or even in person, you can, in a moment, fill out our digital connection card, let us know who you are. But then those of us who've trusted Christ, 
Listen, I said at the beginning, there's definitely been times in my life where I didn't fall off the wagon, I jumped. But what kept me from falling away forever, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, don't hear me saying that, but what proved that I had it was that I got back on the wagon. By grace, Father, forgive me. And what got me back on the wagon was the thought that God is better than anything that the world could offer me. And so if you're a believer and you're just struggling, ask God to help you, to keep you from falling away. Abide in him, believe him, follow his words. We'll get into this more next week. But you better have his word, as Psalm 119 says, hidden in your heart so that you won't sin against him. You better remember what he said. Prepare. But then I know there's, in a message like this, there are friends and family members that you have that have fallen away. And so I'm gonna wrap this up by just praying for them. Father, we pray for those that have fallen away. We don't know if they're saved or not. Maybe they are, and this is just a, a time in their life where they're resisting you, but you're gonna bring them back. And if that's the case, God, would you open their eyes to see that they're not walking in your ways? And that yes, your way, even though it's narrow, it leads to life. But then God, those that have maybe fallen away and it just became evidence that they never had it to begin with. And maybe it's because they didn't realize what they got. Maybe the gospel wasn't presented to them in a way that was more about what they got versus what they were saved from. Maybe they walked in aisle because someone just told them you don't wanna go to hell and that's what they did. But God, I pray that you would arrest their hearts and open their eyes to see that no, if they trust Jesus, they get you. And I know this sounds weird to pray sometimes, God, but make them miserable in their selfishness and sin until they realize that God is the good life. So God, thank you for your word. Help us to remember it. Help us to prepare because this is the hour it's only gonna get harder. Walking in your ways is not gonna get easier. It's only gonna get tougher, but God, give us the grace to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.